Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Um, Good morning, church family. Um, My name is Brittany Anderson, and today's scripture reading is found in the book of James, chapter 5, verses 12 through 18. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will rescue the sick person. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Last uh, Tuesday afternoon, I was meeting with a few of the other pastors, and I read the same text that Brittany just read to us, and then I turned to Pastor Jeff Leo, and I asked him to pray. And when he prayed, after hearing this text, this is what he prayed, Heavenly Father, we run to you today. Uh, We we run to you with our trouble. Uh, We run to you to bring you our praise. Uh, We run to you with our weaknesses, and we run to you with our failures. Now, I'm not sure I got the prayer exactly right. I didn't stop praying and take notes. I wanted to. I wanted to because I knew when, when Jeff was praying that his prayer was a response directly to this, the Word of God, calling us at any time in our lives uh, to, to run into the presence of God and, and to have Him grab hold of us and to know that He cares for us. Last night, one of our pastors, the children, Carol Kenyon, said, When did we stop running? She sees in our children's ministry, sometimes the children never stop running. Uh, when do we stop running? And after the first ser- service, I had one of our, well, probably beyond children, 80 or above, says, I've stopped running. I'm sprinting to God. I'm sprinting to God. So he's calling us to know that God is here and to run to him whatever happens in our lives. And of course, he's talking about prayer. And any time you talk about that, which I'm going to do today, it brings up a huge question which I'm going to put right in front of us today. Brothers and sisters here in church, do you think that prayer matters? Do you think that prayer, a prayer that you or I would pray, actually can change the course of things? Okay, I got four. Four. And I think that's probably an honest response because in our day I think we find it often very hard to know if my prayers can actually change what is happening in this world, and especially those of us who have grown up and been educated here in a place like the United States. What has happened since the rise of modern science in the Enlightenment period is that our education has been so filled with this idea that everything runs by these material laws of cause and effect, that we wonder how on earth, if everything is running by all of these natural laws, can God actually break in and make a difference? And how can my prayer actually be something that God uses to break into all of these natural laws. See, a lot of people have a hard time praying and actually asking God to do something. And I think often for for us in church, we also believe in the kind of God that God reveals himself to be in the Bible, that he's in control of things, and that he has a plan, and he's going to bring it about 
And at the end, he's going to make everything right. So many times the idea is, since God is sovereign and he's in control of everything, then what on earth can I do to change what he's trying to do? And so what I have found in my many years of going to church and being a pastor is that many times we we feel like we can pray as worship. Uh, We can pray to bring thanksgiving to God. But I find so many times that we balk at really coming and asking God to do something. I've even heard people who stand right where I'm standing today in the, in the pulpit and saying, well, you, you've got to know that, that my prayer isn't going to change what God does. So really, prayer is just for the one who is praying. And, and prayer does something for us when we pray. I mean, it, it draws me closer to God. And it, it changes my spiritual life and often my emotional being. But today I want to tell you, on the authority of God's Word, and especially my brother, Pastor James, of the First Church of Jerusalem, that the Bible teaches us that God has built the world in such a way that prayer really matters. That prayer really changes things. Now, you remember Pastor James, chapter 4, those of you who are here, he believes that even though you and I don't even know what tomorrow is going to hold, God does. Do you remember that? And in fact, he holds tomorrow. And yet, in spite of the fact that he believes that, that God has a plan that he is going to bring to completion, Pastor James believes that our God, who is beyond us and does more than we can ever fully comprehend with our finite minds, that our God has found a way to bring about his plan and to make as a part of what he is doing that our prayers are meaningful. And and James in this text declares to us that prayer changes things. And and perhaps the key sentence that I want you to make note of, to think about, is there in verse 16, the second part of it. And this is what James declares. The prayer of a righteous person, the one who is right with God, is powerful and effective. And in fact, some of our versions will even translate that second phrase, accomplishes much. So that's what I want to talk about. Whatever's happening in your life, that I want you to know you can run to God, bring Him your prayers, and it will make a difference. So, Pastor Jeff sort of helped me organize this whole sermon. Uh, James tells us to run to God. When should we run to God? First, verses 12 and 13, you should run to Him when you're in trouble. So today, if you've come to church, as I'm sure so many have, where there's something really going wrong, work, a relationship, your own physical body, uh, if you're in trouble of any kind, what you should do is run to God. Now look at verses 12 and 13. These two verses, many wonder, how on earth do they fit together? Did somehow this get out of order? Verse 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. Don't swear by heaven or by earth. Or by anything else. Because all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Here, James was quoting his half-brother Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you know. You don't have to to make, make an oath in order to tell the truth. All you need to say is a simple yes and no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is any among you in trouble? Let him pray. Can you figure out how those two go together? So... No, nobody, no, I didn't get any amens there. So we'll, we'll just think about this for a moment. In verse 12, I think James is trying to tell us how not to respond when you're in trouble. Do you remember if you pull back to my last week's message, he was talking about when we're in trouble, 
we're supposed to wait and be patient and bring things to God to see what God will do. And it's been a consistent message of James that God often uses the trials that come into our lives when we're patient um, to do great things in our lives. Chapter 1, it will do the perfecting work as we learn in the midst of our trouble uh, to rely upon God. So, so he says that. So it, as he talked about that in verses 7 through 11, he, he ends by saying, and remember Job. Uh, and many of us don't want to remember Job because we don't want his life. Every, everything went wrong with Job. And yet the thing about Job I think he is citing here is when all these things started going wrong with Job, his, his wife came to him and told him, just curse God and die for all these problems. And Job said to her, you are speaking foolishness. Shall we not accept good from the Lord as well as the bad? Don't we want to trust him no matter what? And this is what God said about Job. In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Make note of that. When trouble comes, often the first place where our lack of faith comes out is in our speech. So Job refused to swear against God, to blame God, or to take any kind of oath, thinking if I take this oath, I'll do this, God will have to do that, that he could manipulate God. So, so here's the point. In, in every nation, every time period, every language, when trouble comes into our lives, uh, it affects our speech. Uh, sometimes we speak much more strongly than we otherwise would speak. You know that when, when trouble comes. When somebody questions us, we'll say, I swear on a pack of Bibles. I don't know if anybody says that anymore, but growing up, I, I swear on, that I am telling you the truth. Uh, as if that will make our words truer than at other times. Uh, sometimes that, that kind of swearing an oath can degenerate into the kind of swearing we think of, uh, of expletives. Uh, you see that in the Bible. It happened with the Apostle Peter. Do you remember that time when, when uh, Peter was there as, as Jesus was about to be crucified and the people looked at him and said, you were with that man. He said, I was not. Yes, you were. I was not. Yes, you were. I was not. And then it says he cursed and he swore. And he was an apostle. God forgave him and used him. That gives hope to us, doesn't it? But it, it, it makes the point that I'm trying to make to you right now that when trouble comes into our lives, it comes down into our words. Sometimes it is that we try to manipulate God by making an oath. Sometimes it goes into a swearing in other ways. And that's what uh, James says here. Sometimes we swear by heaven, by God, I'm going to do this, some people say. Sometimes it becomes something even vile on earth. Don't swear by something on the earth or anything else, he says. Learn to trust God. Don't, don't have. Watch your words when trouble comes. A lot of wisdom there, don't you think? Now verse 13 then, he steps in and he tells us what we ought to do. Use our words to pray. Is any of you today, as you come to church, are you in trouble? First thing you should do is go to God and bring that matter to him and tell him what's going wrong. This is what Pastor Jeff was saying. God, we run to you. In times of trouble. Now, that's not the only time you should pray. I know that for some people, it's only when things are really messed up or you have a heavy test or something. Then you pray, oh, I need you, Lord, help me to do well. Uh, we should go to God at that time. And some people only show up at church when they're in trouble. And maybe you're one of those today. I'll just tell you, if you're here, I'm glad. 
Why ever you are here, I am glad that you are here with us. But can you imagine a relationship with anybody that the only time you talk to that person is when things are going wrong and you want something from that person? What a terrible relationship. Well, God is willing to receive you no matter what. And yet what I want you to see is it should become your and my natural muscle. Those of us who really believe that God is and that he is present that when trouble comes, the first thing we will do is turn our thoughts and our mouths to God and bring Him that trouble. When it's heavy, tell Him how hard it is and ask Him to set you free. Now, James was a pastor. This was his pastoral letter. And um, I, I think a part of that is what we do here when we gather. That sometimes the greatest opportunity for prayer is when the church family gathers. How else do we know how to pray with and for one another? How, how else do we learn to carry one another's burdens? And so if trouble has come, you've got to learn to pray, and we want to join you in prayer and walk with you, and at the end of our service, I'm going to give you that opportunity. So that's the first thing. When trouble comes, run to God. Now, two, what about when things are going well? What should you do? Stay home? No, run to God. And look how he puts it there in the second part of verse 13. So, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Now, this word translated, is anyone happy? It's an unfortunate translation for us because we think of a happiness in a certain way. It really is the opposite of of a time of trouble. There are some times when you come to church on a Sunday and everything's going well. I, I won't ask you. But maybe you're going through one of those now. Uh, when your business is going fine and, and, and school has gone well, uh, and the relationships are, 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 are strong, and, and you come into church, and what should you do? He says, well, you should thank and praise God. Our, our, our natural inclination is to think, oh, everything's going fine. It's because I really worked hard on that thing. And it's, it's, do you know what we believe? James chapter 1. Every good gift in this world comes from, from my efforts, my intelligence, Good judgments, I'm... (laughs) Isn't that how we think? No, he says it all comes from God. So whenever there's a good time, you know, I need to learn to turn immediately to Him and just sing a song of praise to Him. And even if you don't sing very well, find some way to turn your words into singing, Lord, I know it's from you. Sometimes I've wanted to say, Lord, if I sing really songs of praise to you, will you not send me any of that trouble anymore? But I have to take whatever He sends. And I think... One of the disciplines that we need, maybe to learn from this text as much as anything else, is this discipline of when things are going well, to acknowledge fully that it's God who's given us that moment to live and to consciously learn to turn to Him and to praise Him. I think it's so unnatural to us, we turn things into ourselves in those moments. And I think James is saying, learn, learn to acknowledge and to thank the Father who has given that to you. And I want you to notice this too. He doesn't say, are you in trouble? You should sing a song of praise. Now some people, when they're in trouble, they'll sing. Some of the psalms were written by people who were in trouble. But in general, when when the problems are really heavy and weighty, singing is hard. And if you can't sing, God understands that. You know Job, when his children uh, died... I don't read of him singing. 
Jesus, and maybe we get even closer to where we should be here. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he was going to bear your sin and mine upon himself, we don't find him singing. But we find him praying. I've had some times in my walk in, with Jesus in the life of the church that I've kind of gotten the idea that when trouble comes, all of us should always sort of go around with a hallelujah on our lips. I think really when we read the Bible, we see there is a place that sorrow is to play in our lives. It, when, when I feel that sorrow deeply, I realize this world is not heaven. It, it, it creates a longing for me, for Jesus to return and to finish his work. It, it draws me to a deeper dependence upon the Lord. And, and so in that, I, I want you to know that there is that time that those tears need to be turned into prayer. But not always immediately into singing hallelujah. So, so I'll, I'll tell you this. Whenever things are, are tough, run to God, bring Him your prayer. When things are going well, uh, just bring it to God and say hallelujah. Uh, as a father, I just remember so much when, um, when I'd come and I'd have time with my children. At the end of the day, I would have Brandon or Heather sit on my lap. Brandon, 6'3", about 200 pounds. I don't let him do that anymore. But those were those great moments when I'd say, tell me, tell me about what happened in your day. And sometimes I'd see that scratch on the, on the leg and I'd say, what happened? And have them share with me what happened there. Tell me about that ice cream truck that mom said that you were able to get a great ice cream. Tell me about that too. Tell me about that paper that your English teacher said was the greatest paper she'd ever seen in the history of the world. And t- tell me about that math paper that you failed. So if, if a, f- a father just rejoices in those moments so much, that's what God does. We, we need to learn to walk with the presence of God. So in, in good times, praise Him. In tough times, pray. Now third, what about when you're sick? Run to him when you're sick. Verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him bring the church into this. Let him call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will, and this is a word we'll look at in a moment, save, rescue, heal uh, the sick person. The Lord is the one who will raise him up. Now, it's interesting for me that Pastor James, when he talks about this, talks about a prayer for sickness more than he does any of the other things. And I've been asking myself, why? I don't really know. I'll ask him in heaven. But I can imagine why as a pastor. Remember, it's a pastoral letter. In any prayer meeting I've ever been a part of, when I've asked for prayer requests, have you ever noticed this? that so many of the prayer requests are for physical healing. And I think that that was probably the case for James as well. So if in our prayer gathering so many times we pray for one another and, and for sickness, I think he probably felt like, I need to give my people some, in, uh, some additional instruction about this. Now, in those few sentences that he gives, I have to tell you, it has created so many questions that, that there have been such incredible disagreement about what we're supposed to do in the light of James's words. Now, I, I was really tempted to try to go over the whole history of the understanding of this with you, and I wanted to, but I knew none of you would stay. I, I knew it. But I, so I thought, what's the very best thing I could do? And I think the best thing for me to do is for me to bring you the questions that I have when I look at this and how I understand it and how we seek to apply it within our church community. 
So, so question number one, he says, so if, if, if you're sick, uh, call in the elders of the church to pray over you. So I, I question, how serious should the sickness be before you call in the spiritual leadership? And, and the word that he uses for sick here is for any kind of serious physical illness. It, w- it was used um, uh, rarely, if ever, for something like a common cold or, or, or flu. It was for something that was, was very serious. And in fact, when he talks about raising up, it looks like the elders may have been called to the bedside. So the person may have been terminally ill. And you may know, if you have, have a Catholic background, that the Roman Catholic Church has understood this text for the priest to come to the bedside of a person just before that person dies to engage in what is called extreme unction, a prayer that God would raise that person up from death to eternal life with him. Now, I don't think that that word just means that. But I do think it is talking about serious sickness. So if there is a, something that has come into your life or to a friend or a, a family member's life where it is really uh, doing tremendous damage to their lives because of that physical weakness or illness, then those are the times you should call your church family in to be a part of it with you so that we can pray with you and help bear that burden. Number two, um, who's to be involved in this prayer? He should call the elders of the church to pray. Now, that matter of calling in the elders, that was such an important matter for the early church. And do you know why? Because already by the time James was writing, people were beginning to wonder, is God's healing only for back when there are apostles here? You know, the people who had actually been with Jesus. And some were trying to say, well, healing ministry probably ended when the apostles were gone. And James is saying, no, no, no. God is still here. And God still heals. And now let me just tell you how this is to play out within the context of your own local church. You identify your spiritual leadership, your elders, and whenever you go through a time of this kind of sickness, call them in to pray for you. Now, in saying this, he's talking about a specific ministry of healing within the context of a local church where we're committed to one another. In that he's not saying that only the elders can pray for the sick. I mean, all believers can pray for one another. But here he is speaking about a specific ministry where we have taken the time to identify who are our spiritual leaders. Next Tuesday, this is a part of what we are doing in our congregational meeting, affirming those that we believe are to provide this kind of spiritual leadership. So in our church, what we, we apply this to our ministry council, to our pastors, into our prayer team to whom we have delegated this authority. So, so when there is this serious sickness, you should call upon your spiritual family, your, your leaders, so that we will come and pray. It should be a normal part of a church family's life. Amen. Number three. So who takes the initiative? And you see it, it says, the one who is sick should call the elders. This is a part of this that I think is so often missed. Uh, the sick person is to take the initiative. Now, once again, God can heal in any way that he wants. And, and, and there's nothing wrong if any one of us goes to the other person and says, hey, may I pray for you, even if you haven't called me to do it. You can do. But he's, again, talking about a specific kind of ministry. And I think the reason why he does this is there is such intentionality in this. That just as you call the physical doctor or call the surgeon to come and do a work, in this you see you're asking God through his people to come and be a part of this. There's something quite powerful when you come and say, I need the help of God. 
And I want to join together in prayer with my people and the spiritual leaders. So in that call for the spiritual, again, the envisioning of a caring church that has identified its spiritual leadership and engaged in this kind of ministry of prayer for one another. And then we need to have the oil ready and pray for you, right? Which brings me to the fourth question. What about the oil? What is that? Pray over that sick person. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. That is such an interesting reference. Looking, you're still with me here, right? Uh, this is more teaching laden than I usually do, but I thought we need to see what it's saying. Now, oil had an interesting usage back in the first century. Uh, first of all, it was one of the main medicines. Uh, even in the Bible, with the Good Samaritan, when, when the man the, was very, very sick, who was beaten, the Samaritan anointed his body with oil. It was, it was a, a medicinal uh, part of this. But the other way that this was used, not just for medicine, it had a sacramental part too. Uh, in the church and, and among the Jewish people, the oil referred to the presence of God. And especially in the church, it became something that symbolized the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So here, James, I think in such an insightful way, says you are to anoint with oil. What, what do I think he's saying? I think that on one side, it takes very seriously the role of medicines. That oil is something that God uses. It's a part of what he made, after all. So that in applying this, I have always felt if you get a biblical worldview, that the medicines that we use, the surgery that comes, the medical knowledge that we have, is all a part of God's world. And so that is something that God can use to bring about his healing. So we don't tell people when we pray for you in the name of Jesus, throw away your medicines. I mean, to me, that's just an incomplete way of looking at the world. It's trying to act like the knowledge and the medicine that is here is not a part of God's creation. So we never tell you to do that. On the other side, we know that sometimes if you just rely upon medical knowledge, then you might not really believe that God is here and can do more than just those physical and natural things can do. So, so we anoint with oil asking that God will make his glory known through healing and, and through rescuing. So I've jotted this uh, down for you. Anyway, if you're going to develop a biblical worldview, the Bible never draws a line between physical and spiritual healing. Because the Bible treats you and me as, as whole people, spiritual, emotional, physical parts or parts of us, but we're one part of a whole. And a pastor like James wouldn't have talked about healing as either being natural or divine because he knew that all healing came from God. So, so when you grasp that, you begin to see it looks like James was telling his elders to go ahead and use the medicines that God had created It's part of his creation but also come to God and ask Him to do something more than any human being could ever possibly see. See how he puts it. Anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. So clear. So clear. Which brings me to the fifth question. Uh, this prayer of faith in verse 15 that God responds to. What is that prayer of faith? Now, I'll just tell you what I don't think it is. The way that I... I don't think a prayer of faith means that I somehow wind myself up to have faith I don't have. And that if I really show that faith by praying really aloud and using just the right terms, then God has to do what I tell him to do. I don't, I don't think that's what a prayer of faith is about at all. Uh, then, then what is it? Um, well, partly it has to do with the spiritual leadership being called in. 
Spiritual leadership should be people of faith. People who believe in God. God is present. That God does miracles. So a prayer of faith comes from a person who has deep faith. That, that, that is a part of it. But the early church, and actually the church through history, has under this, understood this phrase, prayer of faith, in almost a technical way. And I've written it here for you so you can see it and think about it. So that the prayer of faith has usually been understood as a very specific prayer that calls upon God to act. Asks Him to do something uh, for healing in this specific situation. So the person praying the prayer is a spiritual leader who believes God can do anything. And I think that this prayer of faith includes always that, that category that Jesus added in His prayer in Gethsemane. Lord, this is what I ask for. Take this cup from me. But your will and not mine. Your will and not mine. Uh, remember James 4. Deo Valente. This is what I ask for. If God wills. A specific request. A constant surrender to God. It is a prayer. It is not a demand. Um, many have set prayer of faith in contrast to a prayer of rest. A prayer of faith a very specific request. This is what we would like you to do Father. A prayer of rest is Romans 8:26, when you and I just don't even know what to pray. Have you ever had those times? And the Spirit of God gives unction to the words that we pray. Now, number six, and this is the hardest one, my final one. What does God promise in this passage? There in verse 15. So this prayer of faith will, and you see in front of you, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to translate it, heal, rescue, you might write above, write above that, save, the sick person, the Lord will raise him up. So whatever is going to happen, it's the Lord who's going to do it. Not, not the medicine, not the oil, not the elders. It is God who does this work. But Pastor James picked his word so carefully here. He didn't use the usual word for healing. The word that he used is for salvation. Sozo. And usually in the Bible, that, that includes when God completes his salvation, it means that there's not going to be any physical sickness anymore. But usually the word, when God completes his salvation, this word sozo is used for that time in Revelation 21 and 22, when everything is made right. And you know, when, when, when Jesus returns and everything is made right in that world, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain and there will be no more death. So in one sense, what it seems like James is saying is this. You come and bring this matter to God, and God is going to do something powerful. He's going to do a part of His saving work. And a part of that may be physical healing in the moment, but at the end of the day, whatever happens will not keep Him from having that salvation that is promised. After all, I mean, just to say, physical healing is a temporary thing, and God wants to do something much bigger than that. Uh, after, the people they prayed for in James's church and who were healed physically, I don't think any of them are still among us, are they? Any of you there? Yes? <laughs> no, no, no. God is going to do something bigger than that. So I just want you to hear me very, very clearly here that God heals. I've experienced it. I, I've seen it happen. And we need to pray for one another to know that healing power of God. But the Lord is the one who is at work. And at the end of the day, whatever he does will be a part of his saving work. It is the Lord who will raise him up. Um, so what should you do? When you experience a serious sickness, you should call the spiritual leadership of our church. 
to pray with you specifically a prayer of faith for God to heal and to raise you up. And we're supposed to have oil ready. And we're supposed to pray a prayer of faith for you. And I'm just telling you, when those things happen, you will know in God's time, you're going to know His presence and His saving power. So just bottom line, when you're sick, run to God. Run to God. Our our time is so close to gone that the last point, I'm going to come back to it next week, but I do want to say this. So if you come to church today and you know there is sin, failure in your life, what should you do? Yeah, run, run to God too. Sometimes when there's failure, we're almost ashamed, aren't we? But when, when there's failure in your life, run to God. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Ah, there it is. Therefore, what you should do in the context of your church family, be willing to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So you see from these verses, do you see the clear connection between sin and sickness? Do you see that? Uh, Before sin entered this world, ultimately, there was no sickness in this world. Genesis 2, no sickness. When sin entered, sickness came into the world. So ultimately, when it comes down to the bottom line of the thing, ultimately all sickness is a result uh, of human sin. And if, and I've written it, if I'm right about that, and Pastor James is right about that in putting these, these things together, then... Until one is completely eradicated, namely the sin, I don't think we should anticipate that the other will be fully eradicated, namely sickness. But I'm telling you, when Jesus comes and completes his work, uh, sin will be eradicated. And sickness and pain will be as well. Now, he says, if he has sinned, if he has sinned. I think that is so important. I've got to speak very clearly here, because not all sickness is caused by one's own sin. It's caused by the fact that there's sin all around us and all that sin affects everybody else. You know that's true, don't you? So that a child can be born as a cracked baby because of the parents' wrong. Uh, So that all sorts of things are going to affect our lives. Uh, Anger out of control can do great damage and abuse to other people. But we also know that sometimes the weakness that we have and the sickness that we have is due to our own sin. So I can almost imagine in this church some people say, well, I can't, I can't come and ask the people to pray because I got myself into this mess. I've been using drugs or uh, I've been eating wrong things, overeating. You know, all the things we can get into doing that will do damage to our bodies that I can't go to church and pray. And he says, no, no, no. If there's sin in the equation, let's confess those. Let's be a church that doesn't pretend that we don't have sin. <laughs> let's learn to confess our sins to one another and that sin will be forgiven. That sin will be forgiven. I I just thought that if we can become more the kind of community that James is envisioning, where we're willing to confess to one another and pray for one another, we're going to be a spiritually much healthier church, don't you think? And maybe a a physically healthier church as well. So I'll just tell you, if, if things are wrong in your life and you failed, don't stay away. Run to his people, run to God. And you'll find that he is ready to receive you. Amen. Now, I didn't know quite how to end this message, so I was trying to think of a, uh, an illustration. And this is one came to my mind. I don't know if it's very good, but you can think about it. When my daughter Heather, who now has three children of her own, was four or five years old, we went to Disneyland together. And at that time, even though it was way too early for her to do it, at that time we were reading Kenneth Green's Wind in the Willows. 
And I don't know if she understood much about that book, but she loved that character, J. Thaddeus Toad Esquire. <laughs> Crazy toad in that thing. And so when we went to Disneyland, you know, we saw Dumbo over here and the teacups over here. And um, then we looked up and there was Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I have a picture of it here for you. And she said, Dad, I want to go. I'd never been on it. So I said, all right, let's go. So we jumped into that little wagon that was there. And she had such a smile on her face. I'll never forget, a great father's moment. And she was holding on to my arm and looking up and smiling. What I didn't know and what she didn't know is that is a dark ride. That thing is terrifying. Have you, have you been on that thing? I mean, I put a picture up here. Look at that. I mean, they even have hell in there and it turns hot and the, everything's jumping out at you. And all of this was going on. I felt Heather move from her hugging my arm and I felt her arm around my waist and tight. I could hardly breathe as she was holding on with all these things jumping out. And then as we came near the end of the ride, you know, where the gates sort of open up, she saw it coming and I felt her body relax and she just grabbed my arm again. And when they came out and we went out into the light, she said, Dad, we made it! Ah, oh, it's a, a great father's moment. Ten billion times better than this is um, when we run into the arms of God. In times of trouble, in times of goodness, smiling, knowing His presence, knowing that He is ready to hold on to us and to love us, that He loves you more than you could ever love yourself. Brothers and sisters, I want you to learn whatever happens in your life, to run into the arms of God. And I, I, I want us to be a church where we run together. So at the end of the service, I'm going to ask some of our pastors and prayer counselors to come and stand around the uh, worship center and up in the balcony too. Yes, we haven't forgotten you up there. I can hardly see you, but uh, we're going to have some of our pastors and prayer counselors going there as well. They'll have some oil available. We want to just obey this scripture. Just obey it. And I hope you will have the courage to do this. Just step out for a few moments. Mention specifically something that you would like your spiritual leaders to pray with you about. If it's a sickness, they'll anoint you with oil and pray for God's healing. If there is trouble, that you will know God's triumph. If it is for somebody else, we will join you in prayer and know whatever that matter might be. Whatever that matter might be. God's given us to one another. So as our music team comes and leads us in a song, let's stand together. And I would encourage you just to obey this word, respond to it. Just step out for a moment and meet our pastors. They will love to join with you in prayer. Watch them. They'll be all over the worship center. Let's stand together as we sing and come for a moment of prayer here at the end of our service.